Welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I am your host, Jonathan. Well, it's that magical time of year, and I've been preparing for the sights and sounds of the holiday season by listening to over 72 hours of lectures by Terence McKenna. Now, for those unaware, Terence McKenna was one of the big psychonauts of the 20th century, delving into the chemistry and biology of hallucinogens, as well as their impact on rituals, history, society at large, cultural movements, and technology. McKenna also put forth the stoned ape theory, not to be confused with the stoned tape theory of ghosts. The stoned ape theory, and I'm really generalizing here, advanced the notion that human beings made their big leap in intelligence and set themselves apart from the rest of the primates through regular use of psilocybin. This really opened up their minds, man, and suddenly they started to really look at their hands and combined their primitive usage of tools with a newfound imagination, full of colors sounds, and visions to set out on a superhighway to becoming the most imaginative and dangerous animals on the planet. Of course, this also reminded me that a number of field experts have linked hallucinogens, specifically those associated with the Amanita muscara mushroom, to holiday traditions found in Yule and Christmas celebrating cultures. While I was researching this topic, my wife, Gwyndon, said to me, You know, Jesus is a mushroom. I could hear the needle scratch the record in my brain. What? Jesus is a mushroom, she reiterated, and then pointed me to a book by John M. Allegro. This sent me on a wild ride through linguistics, comparative culture studies, artwork, and academic arguments, which will all be distilled into this podcast so you have something to talk about other than politics and existential dread over the holidays. Yay! So, consider my initial topic, the appetizer, to the main course I just mentioned as we start off with the use of hallucinogens during the month of December. For those of you who saw the short video teaser I released last week, there was a reason why Santa Claus took the same stage as the Amanita muscara mushrooms. On the surface, the visual similarities are fairly obvious. There's the red and white color scheme, the round shapes, peace, joy, and love, and both bear gifts. Going beneath the surface is myth and metaphor that has culminated into something that has evolved into the materialistic magic of Christmas. The Amanita muscara, or fly agaric mushroom, grows throughout the Mediterranean and northern regions of the world, specifically in forests with fir trees. It also grows in the Middle East, which I'll get into a little later. So, right off the bat, we can draw a connection between the magic mushroom and the trees which have become a staple to those who celebrate Christmas. In the northern hemisphere, Specifically throughout Europe and parts of Russia, the Amanita muscara has been used in ritual practices going back millennia. But those practices, by and large, were restricted to shamanic groups, where an individual or small groups of people would consume the mushroom and then bestow their insights to everyone else in, in the community. 
Only in select instances are there examples of large groups of people inducing hallucinogenic states. Anyway, the story goes that in the very northern regions, the shaman would consume the mushroom, after which their complexion would become rosy, and they would visit tent to tent, hut to hut, domicile to domicile, and give their knowledge to individuals in the community. In this example, the gift, not to be entirely confused with the German word, was not a physical thing, but rather the wisdom and insight the shaman would bring to households as the region entered winter. We can extrapolate from the shaman entering houses to an entity sneaking down a chimney, but the similarities do not end there. The households would set out food for the shaman on this night, much like people set out milk and cookies now. And just how would a person in the north travel over the fields of snow? Most likely in a sled or a sleigh drawn by horses or reindeer, or perhaps even riding a reindeer for that matter. But Santa flies, I hear you say. Well, so did these wise people back in the day, but again, we're discussing metaphors. What I mean to say is, rituals rooted in hallucinogens were turned into metaphors, laden with symbolism, and then, somewhere along the way, we decided to turn them into literal imagery and practices. As the capital C church spread into Europe, or so we are taught, the missionaries took the existing practices and tweaked them a bit to align them with their own and win over new converts. Personally, I blame marketing. But what if the imagery of Yule and Christmas weren't the only things relegated to rituals involving those wonderful red-capped mushrooms? What if Christianity as we know it was born out of similar practices, but in a completely different part of the world? Why, that would make the whole Christians trying to convert disparate hallucinogen-using groups to their own brand of mushroom-based rituals both recursive and somewhat ironic, even more so in an age when, quote, moral Christians eschew the use of the Amanita Mascara or any vices other than cognitive dissonance to keep the faith. Now I'm going to take you to, into the main course of this podcast. See, to put the Christ back in Christmas, we have to start putting the fun back in fungus. There are a number of conspiracy theories floating around about the origins of the Christian church, ranging from extraterrestrials to secret bloodlines to the Illuminati, none of which really makes a hell of a lot of sense when you start digging beneath the surface. This theory that we're about to go through has nothing to do with any of those. No Freemasons, no Templars. Well, the Knights of Malta are briefly involved in this story, but not in any power-wielding capacity. In other words, this idea, in my humble yet opinionated opinion, is actually viable. Here it goes. John M. Allegro's 1969 book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, puts forth that Old Testament Judaism and its inspired fan fiction or expanded universe writings that became the New Testament sprang forth from a fertility cult that used, 
if not worshipped, the Amanita Mascara going back to the Sumerians. A fertility cult? Please reflect on the following and put on some Monty Python to help you get along. Every sperm is sacred. Sex is not the sin itself, but the waste of sperm is. As God's breath or spit ushered life into the universe, sperm is a divine ointment made real for its ability to spark life. Fertility propagates and perpetuates a society, and it was as important in the earliest civilizations for survival and has carried down through the centuries and is the undercurrent in the Christian faith from the Catholics to the quiverful movement of providential Christians of the modern era. Allegro draws connections and parallels between ancient cultures and languages in Sumer and among the ancient Greeks to show parallels in these rites and rituals. One doesn't need to try hard to see how, for example, the story of Noah's flood was carried over from the Epic of Gilgamesh. And while the trek into linguistics can seem extremely dry, it does show some cross-pollination in sounds and root words that demonstrate a believable link, such as when Allegro focuses on the sounds ush or us, as meaning witchcraft, spittle, or poison, and then taking the reader through dozens of other words to lay the foundation for his hypothesis as he goes through time to the ancient Greeks, the people of the Old Testament, and eventually Christianity, none of which I'm going to dissect in this podcast. If you want to see the incredible amount of research Allegro did, go pick up a copy of The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. In fact, I'll link a PDF for those who want to read it, though it doesn't have all the great notes that the physical copy has. The main thrust of Allegro's argument is that the knowledge and practices of a fertility cult using mushrooms in its rituals had to be kept secret. You couldn't have everyone experimenting with mushrooms, because that's just plain dangerous. If you have a select few to preserve the knowledge of how to obtain the magic mushroom and in what doses to administer it, then you can retain the mysticism guiding the society while everyone else goes about their lives. If a lay person were to try the same thing, they might acquire a lethal fungus or administer the incorrect amount. In ancient Greece, there were the celebrations of Bacchus, and the maenads would go screaming through the forest with the strength to tear people apart. Allegro states that the wine used in the rituals was sprinkled with something extra, a powdered hallucinogen, that earned the devotees of Bacchus their reputation. As an aside, Allegro cites and tears down fantastical quotes from both Pliny the Elder and Josephus, and any author who takes the time to point out their inaccurate bullshit is okay in my book. All of this knowledge was disguised as allegory and parable, stories with morals heavily laden with winks and nudges as if to say, we're not talking about drugs, but uh, yeah, we really were talking about drugs. In the Old Testament, there are a number of times when the reader comes upon plot holes or instances that make one inclined to think the authors may have been on something. Hint, 
they probably were. As a matter of fact, if you want a fun read, go pick up Ken's Guide to the Bible. Seriously, that's the title, Ken's Guide to the Bible. I'll link to it in the show notes. That book breaks down the Bible into sections such as God contradicting himself, misogyny, drug use, and pure what-the-fuckery. I mean, are you going to tell me that the entirety of Revelations isn't a bad trip? Well, actually, it could be the most awesome trip, but it really depends on what music you're playing at the time. Among those in the drug use, what-the-fuckery categories is Ezekiel. It is impossible to take a trip down the ancient astronaut hypothesis road without running across Ezekiel's vision of the wheels covered with strange eyes and beings with four heads. It's used time and again to show how, for a fact, ancient man was visited by either time travelers or beings from distant worlds. Allegro puts forth the following. Ezekiel and following him, late Jewish mysticism, makes much of the cherubim and their related chariot imagery. To the prophet, in some form of hallucinatory trance, they appear as grotesque apparitions on a storm, surrounded by flashes of lightning and roars of thunder. They move not only on outstretched wings, but with whirling, eye-studded wheels, having in them the spirit of life, And they bear the glory of Yahweh from the temple porch. Above their heads is a canopy, and beneath it their wings are spread, two for flying and two to cover their bodies. The mushroom imagery here is dramatically evident. The prophet sees the Amanita mascara, its glowing red cap studded with the white flakes of the broken pellicle from the vulva. In this skin lies the hallucinatory drug one of whose properties is to enhance the perceptive faculties, making colors brighter and objects far larger or smaller than their real size. End quote. There are other questions raised in the Old Testament as well. What was the tree of life that bore the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? If Adam and Eve were the only two humans, where did their son, Cain, find a wife? And how was Lazarus raised from the dead? Well, this can all be answered in terms of a mushroom fertility cult. The tree of life was either the Amanita Mascara itself, or the fir tree at the base of which the magic mushroom grows. Cain's wife, Ewan, meaning vice or potency, didn't just appear out of nowhere. She was simply outside of the cult and married into the practice. Or, her name is a metaphor. Lazarus? That's also pure wordplay. Today, we might know it as lazuli, a word derived from the old Persian to denote a purplish, spotted color, much like the hues of the Amanita Mascara. That the life cycle of the mushroom is one of constant death and rebirth makes sense in this context, something I'll expand upon in just a few minutes. In fact, according to Allegro, much of the Old Testament is, in fact, just wordplay. 
Much the same way people come up with euphemisms for everything from sex to drinking to smoking pot as a way to hide their vices and hobbies in plain sight. There are numerous examples in the sacred mushroom and the cross, from the holiest of holies in Solomon to the coat of many colors, which all just fit nicely together if we put them in a different context. So now, in the spirit of the holidays, as well as this episode, we move on to Jesus. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Teacher, John Allegro puts forth that Jesus wasn't some shaman or purveyor of mushrooms spreading his teachings and divine wisdom after nibbling on a toadstool. Rather, Jesus was the mushroom itself. Let's think about that for a moment. Jesus was divine, put on this earth, yet simultaneously not of this earth, with no visible parents save for Mary who carried him. We have to remember that this all took place before the invention of the microscope, so no one really knew about mushroom spores or exactly how the Amanita muscara worked. The mushroom just sort of appeared. It couldn't be bred. It was neither animal nor vegetable and conferred divine knowledge to its adherents. Let's go one step further and look at transubstantiation where the followers of Jesus eat of his body and blood. Now, in the early days of Christianity, the Romans confused all of this and took it very literally, thinking that Christians were cannibals, which certainly didn't do the Christians any favors. But in having Jesus as a mushroom, the idea of portioning his body and or passing around hallucinogen-laced wine to his closest followers so that they may know of his teachings and have the Holy Spirit within them kind of makes more sense. Even the crown of thorns could be taken as an allusion to the jagged ring that unfurls beneath the cap of the Amanita Mascara. But Jesus existed, I hear you cry. I saw a show on the History Channel back around 2000 with horrible CG effects that proved he lived and walked this earth. So don't blaspheme for the sake of promoting drug use on your podcast, heretic. Well, for all of the records the Romans kept, especially when it came to taxes and criminals, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are not among them. Weird. The Gospels are historically unreliable. Looking outside of religious texts, such as the Synoptic Gospels, we have Josephus, who was similarly inaccurate and definitely had a slant of his own throughout all of his writings. However, the idea of Jesus and the resurrection certainly fits well in terms of the life cycle of the mushroom. In fact, Allegro goes so far as to claim the cross is derived from the shape of the Amanita Mascara, with the stem meeting the flat, wide cap of the mushroom, or, he posits, a cross shape that appears when the cap starts to split. Allegro says a lot about the stem and bulb existing in one organism as it relates to fertility cults, which are very interesting, but really don't fit into this brief overview. Seriously, again, read The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, there is a lot of information and hard research for a book that is less than 200 pages long. It should be noted 
that the sacred mushroom and the cross ended John M. Allegro's career. This is a man who is cited in numerous books about the Dead Sea Scrolls, about linguistics, about ancient religions and cultures, and and yes, about the ritual use of hallucinogens. Entheobotanists, that is, people who study the knowledge of plants, herbs, and mushrooms, and how they were used in medicine and religious practices, launched full-page attacks on Allegro after his book was published. Some cited his hypothesis made sense up to the advent of Christianity, but certainly not beyond that point. We have to remember that the religious right was becoming a thing in the late 60s and early 70s, and Allegro's book was published in 1969. Combined with other scholars who had their own agendas, Allegro's work was buried until other evidence started coming to light that pointed to the fact that the sacred mushroom and the cross was on the right track, which I'll touch on in a little bit. In fact, and this is kind of messed up, Allegro's biggest detractor, Gordon Wasson, never even read Allegro's book. That's right. Instead, he passed it on to two of his friends, a monsignor and a rabbi, and made his judgment based on their opinions. Gordon Wasson, who previously wrote a book titled Soma, in which he went to great lengths to show that the eponymous Hindu god was not a divine entity, but a mushroom, didn't read Allegro's work. And, by the way, Allegro cited Wasson in The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Instead, Wasson relied on the opinions of two people who were very inclined to believe that Jesus was a person, despite there being more historical proof for Jesus being a mushroom. This would be like asking your friends to do your job, regardless of their qualifications or lack thereof, and passing it off as your own work. It's not quite plagiarism, and it's very close to fraud, and falls into the nebulous realm of academic crime, if such a thing exists. So, with all of this information... When did Christianity abandon incorporating hallucinogens into their rituals? Well, it didn't so much abandon hallucinogens so much as it kind of forgot about them. The teachings of both the Old and New Testament are allegorical, but with some very literal things interspersed. Over time, the tables became reversed, and today we see many people taking the Bible very literally, to the point of wanting the erection of the third temple, because that will bring about the literal interpretation of the second coming, which, if it is going to be real, sign me up. I want to see the horsemen and the great beasts and badass vengeance-filled angels shooting swords everywhere. But it's a literal interpretation, until it isn't. Just ask anyone to break down the proclamations of Leviticus, and you'll find someone breaking God's law. And I'm not taking this where you think I am. I'm talking about his proclamations against people who wear blended textiles instead of only natural fibers. Seriously, it's there. Look it up. 
The truth is, the Amanita Mascara can be found in Christian artwork as recently as the 1800s. In The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, Allegro points to the Plancarot fresco, which depicts Adam and Eve on either side of a gigantic Amanita Mascara. Now, detractors of Allegro's work like to say it's not a mushroom, it's a highly stylized tree, and the only Christian sects that would have considered using hallucinogens were heretical. This, however, overlooks a few things. One, that fresco, and I'll post it on the Facebook page, definitely doesn't depict a tree. Whatever that is there is tall, and it has at least one bright red bulbous cap covered with white spots and looks very much like a mushroom, but whatever it is, it certainly is not a tree. And two, the fresco was commissioned by the Knights of Malta, otherwise known as the Hospitallers, the nicer, gentler, less notorious branch of the Crusaders, quieter and kinder than the Templars by by a bit, and without being co-opted by white power groups. And point three, the fresco is dated around 1291, which places it well after the New Testament was written. What I'm trying to say is, anyone who says they know for a fact that mainstream Christians stopped using hallucinogens around 1000 CE is, at the very least, overconfident. In reality, the harsh one that's not influenced by feelings and hunches that reality. We have many examples of Christian artwork depicting the Amanita Muscara and other hallucinogens. Hell, even Gordon Wasson published a similar Christian artwork in the 1950s, but, you know, Allegro's deep dive into linguistics, history, and botany were to be dismissed out of hand. Even to this day, people deride the extensive work of John Allegro, and ignore the existence of the sacred mushroom in the cross while ripping it off wholesale and claiming the ideas as their own. Allegro died in 1988 and discussed how the sacred mushroom in the cross ended his career. He published that story in the book The End of the Road. Gordon Wasson, on the other hand, went on to never admit that he was wrong and proclaimed that, still never having read Allegro's book, mind you, at best, Jesus was a real person who handed out hallucinogens to his most trusted disciples. It was not until after Allegro's death that entheobotanists, archaeologists, linguists, and more in the hard sciences uncovered evidence that all pointed to Allegro being right all along, Perhaps all the dots were not present when the sacred mushroom in the cross was written, and moral stances regarding his theories were more along the lines of similar attitudes that challenged evolution over creationism in the 20th century, and to this day. But Jan Irvin, in her book, The Holy Mushroom, Evidence of Mushrooms in Judeo-Christianity, makes a science-based argument that actually kind of vindicates Allegro and sheds light in detail of why George Wasson and his associates presented nothing more than an emotional argument that simply doesn't carry water. To take a very reductive stance, given all the evidence laid out, 
there are three options before us. One, Jesus was a moniker for the Amanita Mascara, its life cycle and resurrection, along with the mind-expanding powers it brings when we partake of its flesh, lives on in us for all eternity. That the mushroom is divine power made mortal. Two, Jesus was a person. If we go the extra steps of conflating history with historicity, that he was a living being who happened to be a purveyor of drugs to his followers, kind of like Charles Manson, but without the violent tendencies and bad music. Three, I don't really have a third option, so this is a placeholder. I hate black and white thinking. It's a logical fallacy, so having only two options really annoys me. And I tell you what, if you have a third option as to what this is all about, send an email to mothball at crescentcitymedia.com. I'd love to know your thoughts. In conclusion, if churches want to get more people in the pews, they need to install seatbelts first. Follow me on this. They need to install seatbelts, play up the mystery angle, and bring communion back to its roots, or spores as it were. Forget the flash and dazzle of the megachurches that need to abuse their congregations and PPP loans to sustain their tax-free lifestyles. We should partake of the flesh, play some Byzantine choral music, and focus on what the words of the scripture evoke as we strap in and buckle up for a wild ride. And, and that about wraps it up for this holiday episode. Remember, if you don't find the gifts you wanted under your tree this year, there's probably a special red-capped gift growing under a fir tree near where you live, and it will fill you with holiday joy. But bring a field guide or get in touch with an expert so you know what you're picking and so you don't end up in the hospital. And that should cover my ass, legally speaking. Happy holidays, everyone. Until next year. Sleep tight.